Today, as we celebrate the Lutheran Reformation, one thought that's on our minds is the topic of, of Christian persecution. And when I think when I think about Christian persecution, the first person that comes to my mind is Stephen from the Bible. He was stoned to death because he would not deny his Savior. And many of you can think of other people who were persecuted in the Bible. I, I think further on with the disciples, the twelve disciples, according to church tradition, they went to all the parts of the world with that gospel after seeing the resurrection, being eyewitnesses of it, their zeal couldn't hold them back. And they went to the furthest parts of the world, and according to many traditions, they were hung on crosses, they were beheaded, they were burned at the stake, or worse. You fast forward through time to the time of the Lutheran Reformation. That's what we're thinking about today. And with Martin Luther, he was a person who his his he wasn't trying to change or tried to start a new church body, his job, what he wanted to do was simply teach the people what the Bible was actually saying. And so he found himself in at a place called the Diet of Worms. He, he thought it was going to be a, a debate where he could explain what he was teaching from the Bible, but instead they laid out all of his writings in front of him and they gave him one question. They said, do you recant or not? Will you take it all back? If not, face the consequences. And so, after very little sleep and much prayer, he came back the next day and he stood firm and said, I, I cannot. So help me God. And he put at risk his own life and his family because of that. You fast forward through time to today. I, I was reading on the NBC News that Sunni militants went to a, a city in Iraq called Karakosh. And it is considered to be the cap, the Christian capital of Iraq, a country with very few Christians in it. And these Sunni militants came in and they killed many Christians that were there. And to the rest, they, they said, convert to Islam or die. And I was reading an article which said this, more Christians died for the faith in the 20th century than in the previous 19 centuries of Christian history combined. Now, I personally think it would be embarrassing for me to talk to a Christian from Iraq and tell him that the greatest hardship I have someday is the fact I can't sleep in on a Sunday morning or that I have an hour commute to get here to church. We live in America, and we enjoy freedom of religion. And we, many of you probably have not had your life risked for the faith that you profess. And yet even though we live here in America, it doesn't mean that we don't understand this illustration of being a sheep among wolves. You probably know what it's like to be in an uncomfortable situation as a Christian. You probably know what it's like to have you personally, your family, divided because of religion. Today we are talking about, as you see in your bulletin, the, the title of this sermon is Stand Firm to the End. And, and before you do that, you have to answer the question, is it worth it? Is Jesus worth uncomfortable situations? Is Jesus worth losing friends? Oh. Is Jesus worth being tortured for? Is Jesus worth even dying for? Because I have had more than a few people come up here to the front of this church and on their confirmation day, 
confess that they would rather die than have anything separate them from the love of God. But now, because of, through their actions, or maybe through what they say, it seems as if some of those people have lost their faith completely. So I ask you today, are you going to stand firm or not? Is it worth it? Let's look at our lesson today. The picture that we have here painted for us, it looks bleak. It really does. We don't see Christians singing hymns and enjoying potluck dinners together. Not, not at all. Now what we see here is this picture of sheep among wolves. Now, now think about that picture for a moment. You see, it's bad enough when one wolf gets into a sheep pen. But that's not what we see here. We see one sheep surrounded by a pack of wolves. He doesn't stand a chance, does he? And Jesus tells you, practically speaking, what that's going to look like. He says that uh, we will be handed over to the authorities. He says some will be flogged, some will be arrested. He says we may have to flee our own home. He even talks about the family and how this, this will divide the family. Brothers, it says, will betray brothers. Parents will turn in their own children to have them put to death, or children turn in their parents to have them put to death. So I ask you, what on earth could there possibly be to divide the most intimate relationship on earth, the family? What could it be? Jesus. Look at what Jesus says in verse 22. He says, all men will hate you because of me. Jesus is the cause. Now that's strange. See, usually when we think of Jesus, we think of him as a, a symbol of peace, a symbol of love, a symbol of, of reconciliation, right? But in the same chapter later on, it says this in verse 34, Jesus speaking, he says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. A man against his daughter, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And it makes sense, I guess, when you think about the, the symbol of Christianity. Cross. A first century torture and capital punishment device. It would be like hanging around your neck on your necklace a, a, a picture of an electric chair. Obviously, there's going to be some adversity that comes with carrying the cross around. There is. See, to a person like you and I who are Christ's followers, the message of the gospel is comfort, it is our hope, it is our confidence. But for an unbeliever, that same message is a threat. And some of you may understand what I mean by that. When What would happen if you took what you believe about religion, about morally according to what the Bible says, and, and share that with all of your co-workers. How, what would they think? How would they feel? They would know right away that you are saying that they are wrong and you are right. They understand that. It would be the same thing too if, if you went to people of non-Christian religions. You went to a Muslim and told him what you believe. They understand it means that, so you're saying that you believe my God does not exist and yours does. You believe your holy book is true, but ours is not. And to go to an atheist or, or an agnostic, someone who's not really sure if there is a God, by telling them what you believe, they, they understand what that means. You're saying that everything that I've ever believed is wrong. 
You're saying that somebody actually is holding me accountable? Nobody likes to hear that. To unbelievers, this message of the gospel is a threat. And because of that, we are afraid of time. And so you find yourself at work being quiet when the topic of religion comes up. Because you know that those wolves are just going to grit their teeth at you when they hear what you're saying. When the topic of homosexuality and abortion and same-sex marriage comes up, you know that at times that you feel like you're just being set up by those wolves. Again, they can grit their teeth at you. Or when even talking among other Christians from other Christian denominations, it can be easy for us to say, ah, close enough when it comes to the Pentecostals or the Presbyterians or the Catholics. As long as they have the big doctrines, that's what's important. When we know full well that, that so many Christians before us risked their lives and died for every teaching of Scripture, not just the quote-unquote big ones. See, Christians have always had two options. To either stand firm in faith to the end or to crumble under the pressure. And oftentimes we have crumbled, haven't we? And sometimes it hasn't even been under all that much pressure. See, it says in our lesson this promise that says, He who stands firm to the end will be saved. And I think to myself, then how on earth can I be saved? Because I haven't always stood firm to the end. But that's what this message is about. See, what chance does a sheep have among a pack of wolves? Absolutely none. And this reminds us that we must depend completely on our good shepherd and by our side. And our good shepherd goes one step further than just fighting off the wolves. He doesn't just do that. He actually becomes a sheep, specifically a sacrificial lamb for us. And he allowed those wolves to devour him. He put all of your sins on his own shoulders and God pummeled him with the wrath of God. And on the third day, he rose. He showed to the world that he stood firm. I asked the question before, is it worth it to stand firm? Jesus thought. See, when it comes to Christian persecution, we know what we risk. We risk very important relationships in our life. We risk relationship with our friends, with our co-workers, even with our family. But through what Jesus did, there is one relationship that is cemented into eternity. And that's your relationship with your God. That's the whole point of the Bible. It starts in the very beginning with, with the creation account where God made this perfect world, and there Adam and Eve are in this perfect world, and they had a perfect relationship with God. But then a, a few chapters later, in chapter 3, they, they fall into sin. But God had right there a, a promise that He was going to send a Savior to reestablish and, and create anew that relationship with God. Finally, Jesus came and He did that. And then you have at the very end of the book, in Revelation, this beautiful picture where the tree of life is. And if all believers eating out of the tree of life, they're with God. The relationship with our God is something that will not be broken. 
See, we think that we lose so much by standing firm. But we lose nothing. We gain everything that was lost in the Garden of Eden. And I realize that we, we jeopardize constantly our relationship with Him. We put it at risk. We, we put at risk our own salvation. We, we are weak and we, and we crumble and we don't stand firm to the end. But your good shepherd has not left your side. And he continues to forgive you daily. There are times when we don't stand firm. And it's there in the, the face of, of Christian persecution where we get to see on whom we truly depend. And whom really makes us strong. It's not us. It's our God. Our Savior. See, in sports, any coach will tell you the importance of having good, solid footing. If you were following the, the baseball, the World Series, you saw what happens when those guys get up to the plate. They dig their feet into the dirt. Because they, they'll, every, any coach will tell them, it's not about how strong you are specifically. But where are your feet are playing? Same thing in football. If you want to give a hit or take a hit, make sure your feet are solidly playing. Same thing is true for us. It's not about how strong you are or think you are. It's about where your feet are playing. You know, Savior Jesus. In our lesson, we have a couple of, of statements that, that Help us as we face Christian persecution in our life. And I want you to, to think about them here. This is the first one. It says, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Now, now, what does that verse mean? It doesn't mean that our job as we stand firm to the end means that we need to pick fights with everybody out here in New York City. Now, there's going to be enough difficulties that we have as we face Christian persecution in our life. But it does mean that, that you know, the phrase shrewd as snakes it means being wise. That as God wants you to use your God-given, sanctified reason to make a, a good decision about what to do in that specific circumstance. To both speak the truth in love, or speak the truth and do it in love. Just two. And to help us as we consider how practically to go about this, he tells us in verse 19, do not worry about what to say or how to say it, at that time you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Pray about that. Pray that God would give you boldness and the words to speak when those opportunities come, whether you are an extrovert or an introvert. Now, I, my hope for you is that through this sermon you, you walk away with a greater appreciation for your faith, for your Savior. And my prayer is that you open your eyes to the different opportunities that you have be bold witnesses to the truth. My prayer is that you stand firm to the end, knowing that your good shepherd is at your side.